All right. Good morning, everybody. I was uh, received a text message. Just a second. Um, sorry, it's poor communication between me and my wife. You can see displayed here um, from Pastor Peter, and he says uh, to greet the class and let y'all know that they are boarding their flight to come home. That they've been on the Queen Mary in Long Beach, California, for the weekend, and that's the ship that brought him, his mom, and his sister over um, when he was really small. So they wanted to give that that update to the class in 1946, if you can believe that that date existed. (laughs) Anyway, so um, as we've been working through the Psalms and and our introduction to Psalms in Psalm 1 and 2, and then the overview of the Psalms, I just had a a thought this week that, that we have so many songs in our society that are so important to us, right? And uh, one of those songs, because we're going to be doing, quickly do a, a psalm of thanksgiving this morning, uh, our, you know, thanksgiving song psalms are ones that account God's goodness to us. And so one of us is turning one years old tomorrow. So I thought we would sing a very popular song to her for her birthday. Y'all ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Bella. Happy birthday to you. Yay! Say thank you. All right. Songs are such a, a big part of our lives. God. We have songs that just affect us, songs that you can hear. Oh, that's my, my jam now, I think is what we say. I'm probably old in that anyway, as they've already come up with something else, the kids. So I'm behind the times, I'm sure. Um, we want to continue in our overview of the Psalms by looking at a few uh, examples of types of Psalms. Um, and we're going off the summary that... that uh, we developed last week that the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew songs that were compiled by various authors over hundreds of years in order to help God's people remember that in every circumstance and in every place and at all times that God is the only source of salvation and the only sure foundation of faith that he alone is the joy and peace they most long for, so that they will always put their full hope in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of music. Thank you for what it does to connect our minds to our hearts, that those connections come out in expression or... Uh, They can be expressed in joy or sadness. God, thank you for our emotional life. Thank you that you have given us this emotional life to speak more about yourself because we're created in your image. Um, So we want to use our emotions for your glory. So we want them founded. God, founded upon your character, founded upon the goodness of your love for us. 
God, that, that no matter what emotion it is, God, we see it and we know it in the light of who you are, what you've done for us in Christ, what you continue to do through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, God, we want to stand before your word this morning. Open our eyes and we see wonderful things from your word. Open our ears that we may hear and receive and be obedient, God. So we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So you will notice that contrary to what my normal notes look like. So if you so open, open up to the middle of the notes that you have. So my normal notes, when I give notes, look a lot like this, right? They're bullet points. And, and so I don't, I don't typically give a lot of information in the notes because I've explained it before. We're turning these things in on Friday so that we can serve the, the staff here so they can print them and get it out. And so we try to get a generic outline out. And then my teaching notes look like a whole lot more like what you have on page one and two. Um, as well as, as some things that, that I need for me to, to remind myself of what I'm teaching. So, on Friday, after I hit send to send the notes to Abby, I, I closed everything and I, I moved on to something else. And I thought to myself, I was like, did I really just send all my teaching notes to the class for the first part, but then not the second part? Or that, why did I send my teaching notes and not the class notes and so I went back to look at it, and it's half and half. It's basically the teaching notes for Psalm 116. And so I'm like, okay, well, I guess, I guess that was, was by design. Maybe, you know, maybe it helps. Uh, Mr. Mike told me this morning that it was helpful for him to look over it because he picked it up early, looked over Saturday. But last night, and, and I, I've always questioned Peter when he does this, oh, the Holy Spirit changed what I was going to talk about. And I've always thought, like, really, Peter? I mean, come on. Last night, I feel like, um, as I was falling asleep, I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to focus on Psalm 44. I want you to be there. And so I feel, maybe this is true, maybe it's not, I don't know, that God had me give y'all the teaching notes for Psalm 116 so that you would have basically what I would what I would have taught there. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to hit about five highlight points from it. Um, and then we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Psalm 44. So here's what we'll do. We'll do a quick context for Psalm 116. And then I'm going to highlight two points out of it. And then we're going to move on to Psalm 44. Psalm 116. I'm going to remember to say the one in there. <laughs> All right. So the context for Psalm 116 um, is this uh, there, it's a, first of all, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And we, we learned last week that psalms of thanksgiving are specific songs about something God has done, is doing, or maybe a group of activities that God has, has done, as opposed to a psalm of him that is a psalm about God's character. That is specifically about who he is, how he works, instead of something that he has specifically done. And then we want to respond back to what he has done with thanksgiving. So these are, these are specific actions in the lives of the psalmist or in the lives of the congregation. Psalm 116 is found in the section of the psalms called the Halal Psalms, Psalm 113 to, to 118. And all of these psalms carry in it phrases of praise the Lord, which is Halal, 
You know the word from hallelujah. It's where we get the longer add the yah on the end, the Lord, to it, of the halal. Um, this psalm is also, as I mentioned last week, in that section between Psalm 110 and 119, where 110, the new king, is brought in. And then you have this, this section of 111 through 118, where this king is, is learning all what the, the scriptures tell him and how, how he's um, to respond to God, who God is, how I'm supposed to respond to God, 11 and 112. And then he goes in and, and you just see different aspects of how do I, how do I relate to God? You know, and then Psalm 116 is, is one way that um, he relates to God because of a healing in prayer specifically. And, and we get that element uh, building up to the eruption in Psalm 119 that takes, like we said last week, 176 verses to communicate the power and just the overwhelming joy that the, the word of God is in a man's life if he will hold it close and he will delight and meditate in it like Psalm 1 tells us. Derek Kinder says about Psalm, 19, Psalm 116 that there is an infectious delight and touching gratitude about this psalm. The personal tribute of a man whose prayer has found an overwhelming answer. He has come to know, he has come now to the temple to tell the whole assembly what has happened and to offer to God what he vowed to him in his extremity. So he's being faithful because God answered his prayer. And because God does answer prayer, this is a psalm that, that we can hear, celebrate, and relate to. Two things out of the section on um, what does the rest of the Bible say about this psalm particularly? I'm going to pick up on the statement of verse 13 in Psalm 116, where the psalmist says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. In verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. Most assuredly, this is a picture of a thanks, a thank offering, as we learn about in the book of Leviticus, um, and then again repeated in the book of Numbers. And those offerings were offered with a cup of um, of wine, and, and then they had an oil and a fragrant offering as well with it. But this is the first time that we read of salvation with that cup. And so it's a, it's a unique element that is added to the cup in the Thanksgiving offering and the, the vow this man has had. And so the rest of Scripture picks up that phrase, even Jesus himself, when he establishes communion. And so he picks up the power of what communion brings. And he says, you know, this is this is a cup of my my blood. This is a cup of the covenant that will be for you as as often as you do this. Do this in remembrance of me, particularly on the blood side of that, of his sacrifice on the cross, of what that blood truly means in covering our sins. And so so the psalmist here is actually adding a element of prophecy into it. And he doesn't even know it. Because he feels like he has been saved. That's his, his honest feeling is that God healed him from some, um, some sickness that had brought him to death's doorstep. He said, you know, the chains of Sheol, the grip of, of the underworld has got me. And God saved me and brought me out. And, and so he feels saved. He feels like God has physically saved him. And so Jesus takes that 
emotion. It builds upon it. Paul also quoting this in, in 2 Corinthians 4 as well. And then the second one is uh, found in verse 15, just past that section. And he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Right? We've heard that um, shared at funerals, uh, that, that little snippet from this psalm. And actually, this is a psalm of healing and, and not death. And so we get, a, we get a, an idea of um, precious in the sight. Uh, the word precious could probably better be translated to most, uh, to Derek Kidner and, and several others that I read as costly, as valuable, as worth, worthwhile. And so you see the picking up of, of this, um, John 3.16. You know, for God so loved, for God is so, um, the preciousness of his saints is so much that he sends his son to die. And we get a picture of that when Jesus stands before Lazarus' tomb and why he weeps. Because he knows the value of the saints. And then, then again, whenever he cried over Jerusalem and says, you know, how I wish that you would be gathered to me as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And he weeps over that because he knows the preciousness of these saints. And then... Ultimately, giving of his life is the stamp and the exclamation point that the saints' lives are precious, are costly to God because it cost him his son's life. And there is true value given to us because we are in Christ from that. And so that's, that's a couple ways. There are many more. Uh, if you'll work through the, uh, the outline there and, and get, you, get some of your own too because these are very limited um, highlights that I brought out for this psalm. So, I want to move on here um, and move into psalms of lament. And I really felt like this is, this is one of the things that, um, particularly in the church in America, has been pushed to the side. And we have, we have relegated sorrow to a place of Okay, that's fine, but you can't do that in public. There can't, there can't be corporate sorrow over godly biblical things. There can be, there can be corporate sorrow over perceived injustices, over um, uh, things that, that the world wants to highlight and, and bring forward. Um, so that element of corporate sorrow is still here, but it's been subverted. Um, and so these Psalms of Lament... Um, they're very valuable to us to say, no, we have a means. And, and Psalm 44 particularly is a means for a congregation, for a, a gathering of people to express, hey, there has been trouble. There has been sorrow. And this is for us together to express these defeats, this, this tearing down of ourselves um, in the midst of our faithfulness to God, and it reports that. Which one of the ways it makes Psalm 44 hard to locate? In where where is this really in history? It doesn't give an author. Doesn't have a timeline to it. Um, some would say it's from early in David's life, where as he would faithfully run away from uh, Saul, but still honor God by honoring Saul and his men honoring God as well, as he kept him faithful, and yet he still sees this onslaught of they're going to kill me <laughs> they're constantly going to kill me they're after me and so possibly possibly after that time after a return from babylon uh in the period leading up to um in the intertestament period uh, the times of nehemiah ezra and then and beyond 
Maybe it was written in this time where there are several defeats from the Romans that have come in. We don't get that in the Bible, so it's hard to, to locate uh, something that we don't hear, get a piece of the history of because of where our Bible's cut off in the Old Testament uh, before the New Testament. And so that's kind of hard to locate it there. But it's possible that in that Maccabean area that this was, this was written because there are several times whenever people, um, the Romans would come in and just wipe out areas and scatter people, much like the Babylonians did. Um, and so we, we learned that from Josephus and his history. So wherever it's located, it's still valuable for us because uh, we learn so much in these Psalms of Lament. So a Psalm of Lament gives us an honest expression of emotions in times of struggle, suffering, depression, and emotional chaos. Anyone ever been there? Struggle, suffering, depression, emotional chaos. Every one of us, we go there. We've been there. We know what it's like. We be there now. So these are, are valuable tools for us in how to walk in these seasons and honor the Lord. There's probably no greater wake-up call than understanding the place and value of lament for our individualized Christian culture, right? We, we want to live Christianity as me and the big guy upstairs. I got this. Jesus, have our time together. I'm walking out to the Lord instead of understanding the, the infrastructure, the connectivity that we have to one another. Understanding how valuable that you are in my life. And I am in your life in that intended purpose of strength, weakness, grace that comes in and flows between us as we carry one another's burden, as we rejoice together. These are things that we are called to do. Yes, Bella, you too. So there are more laments than any other category in the Psalms. There's about 54 or 6, I forget the exact number, of them, which is about a third of the 150. While it is true that there are more laments than any other type of psalm in the Psalter, it is informative, it helps us, that the laments are not spread evenly throughout the Psalms. The truth is that the laments are clearly piled up in the front sections of the book. More of them are in books 1 and 2 than the rest books 3, 4, and 5. Psalm 3, 1, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying, me, saying of me, God would not deliver me. Psalm 4.1, answer me when I call to you, O righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 6, 2 and 3, be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? Psalm 13, 1 and 2, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And every day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Do you hear yourself in those psalms? Do you hear your life being spilled out? That's the gift of the book of Psalms. Is that we have a category for Every aspect of our lives, even these negative emotions that we have, which we'll actually see are gifts from God. 
So in the overall architecture of the book of Psalms, there's a clear design of movement from lamentation in the early books to abundant praise in books four and five. There is this architecture, there is in this architecture a clear design of movement from suffering to glory. In the overarching meta-narrative of the book of Psalms. But we're New Testament Christians, right? Didn't Jesus come so that we might have life and have it more abundantly? John 10. Didn't Jesus pay the penalty for our sins? Romans 3 tells us. Hasn't he redeemed us from the curse so that we might experience blessing? Galatians 3. Why do we have to suffer in this life? Yet too, one of our questions. Hebrews tells us that Jesus is, and we went through this a couple weeks ago downstairs, now crowned with glory and honor. Why? Because he suffered. Because it was fitting. Because it was the fitting way for God to bring us to glory. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. Romans 8, 16 and 17 says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. How many of us love to, to bumper sticker that? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. But we're going to stop right there. Because the next part, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Peter likewise in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also receive and be glad when his glory is revealed. The book of 1 Peter is a strong encouragement and teaching about the role of suffering in the Christian's life. Now, returning to the book of Psalms, how about the author of one, Psalm 119? As he describes his suffering. This king rejoicing says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. <clears throat> but now I obey your word. And it's going down a couple of verses. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Psalm 119, 67 and 71. So in such suffering, we see goodness, righteousness, faithfulness in order, the order that God has brought. And God who is working to conform us, to bring us into the image of his son. The Psalms of Lament show and express that the experiences of struggle, suffering, depression, and emotional chaos are not necessarily signs of deficient faith. I'm going to say that again. These struggles are not necessarily signs of deficient faith. Your sufferings are not necessarily signs of deficient faith. Your depression is not necessarily a sign of deficient faith. Your emotional chaos is not necessarily a sign of deficient faith. It's not something we grow out of. 
that we, the, we need to grow out of. Grow up. You know, that's, it's, that is not the way to handle these emotions. But rather, these are experiences that are intrinsic. They are part of the makeup, the very nature of faith. That no matter what we go through, no matter what this life holds for us, no matter what our brains, our hearts present to us, we will believe in God. No matter what happens, no matter when it happens, every circumstance, in every location, at every time, the book of Psalms gives us a solid foundation to express and examine our own emotions, our own feelings, before the face of God. So they are intended to cause greater dependence upon the Father, greater depth in our reliance upon the Holy Spirit, and greater deployment of that faith, greater, greater communication of that faith into the lives of those around us. So, Julio Torres sits before us. We prayed for Julio for a long time. And like Psalm 116 says, God healed him. But along the same lines, you know, Drew Morris is not with us. And, and in the providence of God, both of those testimonies declare the power and faith of God. You, you talk to Steve Morris, there's a man with faith. It's a man who's been built up. Heartbroken? Absolutely. And do we weep with him? Yes, we do. But he's a man built up in the faith and strength of God. He knows that God wanted Trudy to be with him. And that this life, because we need to know this, this is not our home. I love you guys. I love my family. But I love my Savior more. I want to be with Him. Right? That's what Paul could communicate. If I'm here, it's great. I love to bless and I love to be around you. I love to encourage and strengthen you. But my heart is to be with the Lord. And the message of Philippians and the joy that salvation really brings is that we can be with the Lord now in these circumstances and enjoy the relationships we have as long as we have them, as long as it's being called today. So, completely lost in my notes now. All right, that's okay. <laughs> so then Paul would attest to this fact, and he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 10, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, speaking of his thorn in the flesh, that it should leave me. But he said, but the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul's faith was being built because he was suffering 
in His flesh. And I love that we're not given what that is. I love that you can read 15 commentators and have 13 opinions about what that is. Because it's not meant to be specific. It's just like the Psalms. And the Psalms lament. They're not necessarily specific enough to tell us, oh, that's for this category of life. No, they're supposed to cover broad categories, broad weaknesses, that in weakness, as we walk in weakness, by faith, that we're made strong. And Christ is glorified. So Psalm 44 provides us a poignant illustration of what it is for a community to suffer together. Let's read this together. No, let's, I'll read it. Y'all can read along. Oh God, we have heard with our ears. Our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days. In the days of old, you with your own hand drove out nations. And by them you planted. No, but them you planted. You afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their arm save them. But by your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delivered them. You delighted in them. You are my king, O God, ordained salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes. Through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor... Can my sword save me? But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. In God, we have boasted continually and we give thanks to your name forever. Pause. Wow. Thought you said to the psalm of lament. Sounds like a psalm of thanksgiving. It sounds like God specifically doing what he's done. And if we had stopped there, like like many of the liturgical settings want to do, they just pull out this section of Psalms. It's what it would be. It'd be a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of, of remembering the works of God and his power in the lives of the Israelites as he brought them into the promised land. But that's not where the psalmist stops. And I think we, we err when we stop there and we don't read everything because we can look back in our lives and see victories and see good times. But we're going to compare them to how the psalmist feels today. And so he goes on. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for the slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long, my disgrace is before me. My shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger, all this has come upon us, though we've not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet, You have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten your name, our God, or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust, and our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So in the recent past, this king and his people, like their ancestors, had not trusted in themselves for military victory, but had trusted in the Lord and given him the glory as they won battle after battle. And they were successful, as verses 1 through 8 tell us. But in the present, they were experiencing defeat, disgrace on every side. They were being beaten in battle. They were being, spoil was taken from them. They were scattered among the nations. Verses 9 through 16. And defeat and disgrace would have been understandable had there been rebellion against the Lord in one form or another. As we saw at the battle of Jericho with Achan and his sin. This was not the case. But the fact was that the defeat and disgrace had come in spite of covenant loyalty to the Lord. Because of their loyalty to God, they were facing death all day long. Paul quotes verse 22 in Romans 8.36. In the midst of his list of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword that the Christians in the Romans, the Christians in Rome were facing in their lives. He draws upon the despair of Psalm 44 to remind the persecuted Christians that the important aspect of their lives is to love, is the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that needs to be our focus as we face spiritual persecution. And for much of the church in the world today, the same types of physical persecution. We have to be very careful And I know this is our context. I know by the sovereignty of God, he has planted each one of us here. But we have to be very careful in our interpretations and explanations of the Bible as American Christians understand them. I know I'm speaking into an American audience. And so that is our context. And I speak into that context from God's word. But much of the world right now lies in tribulation, famine, distress, and toil. And we need to carry, as, as we are not in that right now, um, we need to carry that in our hearts as, as a means of prayer. We need, to be, we need to be focused on praying for the persecuted church. I'm so grateful for um, the ministries that, that communicate. You know, the persecuted church and Fox's Book of Martyrs and uh, many others that have, have gone out of their way to communicate how the rest of the world that, that Christ is, is being persecuted there and, and tortured and tormented. So it is, it is important for us to understand that our current persecution is, is more spiritual than physical. And, and we, need to, we need to hear that too and not look past the spiritual persecution of success, the spiritual persecution of getting what we want. It's not hard for us to understand in some ways in a physical realm. Just try giving your kids everything they want. One week. Everything they want no matter what. 
guess how they're coming back in week number two? Pretty wanty. <laughs> Not many needs, but lots of wants. And just um, completely not focused on the love of the parents expressed by the love of God for them, but just in the gifts, just in the, the things they got. Um, and, and we see just how um, and how much a, a struggle it can be to get what you want. You know, we've, we've had that. And, and America's pretty much had that for, for the last 200 years. We've gotten what we want. We need to be very, very careful that this isn't... Um, a, a persecution for us and to, to guard our own hearts from those wantsies, as my kids do. So the eye of reason uh, can't always penetrate the darkness of suffering in this life. And the dark providence of God is, is such a um, realm for questions, and particularly the why questions that can abound in these times. And we're not, we're not often given clear answers to many of them. Though, We are given clear direction of how and where to express these questions. And as to their ultimate purpose, the glorifying of God and our enjoyment of Him forever. So we're able to ask these questions, but where are we asking them? Are we just asking them with our friends so that we can mope in our suffering, in our distress, in our depression? Are we asking these genuine why questions in the presence of God and crying and screaming before God? Why? But it's before God that we do this. And so through these psalms of lament, God grants us permission as his children to scream our most agonizing questions in his presence. The psalmist screams, awake. Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Where is your former great love? Such language is not off limits in prayer, but is welcomed by a father who has in his mysterious love a place for suffering. Psalms like this one help us get through those dark valleys of perplexity where God cannot be seen and his ways cannot be understood. We may not receive a complete answer when we are forced to cry out, Why do I have to suffer, Lord? But this we know. Suffering brings glory. And in this truth, we experience perspective and comfort and freedom. For in this truth, we experience the transforming presence of the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit. Because remember what you're doing in expressing this. You are praying. You are setting your heart before the God of all creation. Before the Son who is on the throne beside Him. And you're only doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? As we learned in Psalm 111, that it's God who reminds us of that covenant. It's God who reminds us that we can come before His presence. We're coming before His presence. We have transforming presence of God that we're able to carry these turmoils and these experiences of our lives. So as the psalmist concludes in verse 26, and he says, rise up and come to our help. There is a glimmer 
a glimpse of hope. What is it in, in Lord of the Rings on the third day when you see the light breaking? I forget the whole phrase, but uh, that Gandalf tells uh, Argon and Argon recalls it. You, oh, you see it in his face. He recalls it when he sees that first break of light. And sure enough, Gandalf appears. Now, this is that, that glimmer, that gleam right before that, that moment. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us. Not just redeem us, but redeem us for the sake of, of getting away, of doing away with our suffering? No. Of, of overcoming depression? No. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. Because you do love us. Redeem us. And he has done that. And he did that in Christ. And we know that Christ will be with us when we suffer because he promised us that in this world you have tribulation and trial. But I will be with you till the end of the age. Through it all, every moment, every circumstance, every person, I will be with you. So how do we get to sing this song? When we're struggling, when we're suffering and depressed, when your emotions, my emotions just go into chaos mode, cry out honestly to God. Do that in the midst of the congregation. Have a, a, a fellowship group that you can, you can be honest before God and among them and say, life really stinks right now. I need to be reminded of God and His steadfast love. So secondly, when health concerns slam up against us, and as, as, a, as a church, we need to let those raw emotions come forward and dialogue with God in the midst of our family. Uh, the the song, song that I had for this one that reminded me of was the Matt Redman song of, of Blessed Be Your Name, right? Um, and one of you guys can sing it better. My brain's not going to recall it right now, but... Um, he goes through several turmoils, and then still, I will say, blessed be your name. Right? So, <clears throat> and my voice cracks. Um, third application point, and it's actually homework for you, um, is to come ready next week. Because we're going to spend time in prayer. We're going to use the power of meditation, the power of delighting in God's word, and we're going to bring our honest, real prayers before God. So if it is, it is a season of suffering, of depression, of turmoil for you, we want you to bring those requests. And we want to pray with you through those requests. So that's the homework, is, is be prepared next week to cry out and pray. If it's if time of rejoicing, you know, if, if it's, it's a... a a season of recognition of just the goodness of God in your life, a psalm I am, bring it and go through and find a specific psalm that speaks to your situation. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. Recite it. Recite part of it. And then just declare to God with us what is going on in your life. We want to know that. We want to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let's pray. Father, truly, you have been so good to us. God, we have your word, which carries your character throughout it, that we can know you. God, that we can have you 
dwelling in us is mind-blowing. God, would that transform us, God? Even now, as we go down to worship you, we want the transforming presence of your Holy Spirit declaring the worth and value of Christ for your glory. God, to open our hearts to see wonderful things from your word and in worship. God, we want to be honest with you as well. So protect us, guard us, bring us back next week to give you glory, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.